Hello and welcome to the show today. I am excited to have fitness entrepreneur Jenna Irvin on Imperfect Action to talk about how she got started with her business while she was in college, the trap of trying to do everything yourself, how she approaches hiring, and how that's changed over the past few years, as well as the parts of being an entrepreneur that people don't see on Instagram, one of my favorite conversations to have, and getting comfortable with yourself, even those things that you can't change about yourself, but are a key part of who you are, where you are right now. And speaking of being comfortable with yourself, if you didn't catch the last episode, episode 90 with Mark Metry, who's the author of Screw Being Shy, he was on to discuss being mentally healthy, being authentic in who we are, even in front of others, and he shares his approaches for overcoming shyness and social anxiety. So it's time to play bigger, do better, move the world. Let's get started. Welcome to Imperfect Action. This is Brock Edwards. And of course, this is the show where we're looking for ways, ideas, thoughts, perspectives to help us get out of our own way, get unstuck and move forward. And today's guest is Jenna Irvin. Jenna, could you introduce yourself? Well, in fact, like when you meet people for the first time, how do you describe yourself to them? Hi, Brock. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here today. Um, I think depending on who I'm talking to, my introduction probably looks a little different, but uh, in the professional space, I own a pure bar studio in Hilton Head Island, and I opened my first location pretty soon out of college. So when I'm in the professional space, I often get asked the question of, how old are you? How are you doing this at this age? Um, is a very frequent question that I get asked from clients and people that walk in. And um, so I feel as though finding security in my age and in what I do and in my profession has been this season for me. And so my introduction is often somewhere along the lines of explaining, you know, why it was important for me to start this journey when I did um, and what that has looked like. So, yeah. All right. So it, it just takes me back to all the episodes of Phineas and Ferb I watched with my kids. And, you know, one of the running gags was always the, aren't you a little young for, and then whatever yeah. they're doing. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I love the show. Um, <laughs> so you talk about security in, in your age and well, the, oh, okay. So I, sorry, jumble of questions happening in my head here. Let me get some of them out. Uh, so first off, what inspired you to open a studio shortly after graduating college? So I actually became an owner while I was still in college. I okay. found the pure bar technique during my freshman year of college. I attended High Point University in North Carolina, and I'd been a basketball player my entire life. I was a part of a team that was state champions all four years, and so it monopolized my life. And I decided when I went to college that I just wanted to figure out who Jenna was outside of basketball um, and you know, form a social circle that wasn't based upon teams that I was on. And I saw that there was a pure bar opening down the road. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to try this. And for those of you that don't know, pure bar is a ballet-based strength workout. And it's rooted in small movements that work isometrically to fatigue your body. So very opposite of what I was doing for basketball. And I was horrible. The first class, it was probably one of... It was probably the worst I've ever been at something the first time that I've done it. Um, and I left the class and I signed up for the month, like right on the spot. 
And it was this weird space. I've struggled with insecurity. I'm six foot two. Um, and I've always had a curvy body. And so security in myself is something that has been really hard for me to come by. And in the fitness space, especially because I developed before a lot of my peers, I would constantly find myself comparing to friends, to teammates, to competitors. And it's like when I was lifting other people that were in the gym, I was always just in my own head about everything. And as I was leaving this class, it was the very first time that I had completed something in the fitness space and just felt good. Um, and I was navigating eating disorder at the time. And so it be kind of, it, it didn't kind of, it did become a safe space for me that a lot of healing began to happen. And it was subconscious. I didn't really know it was happening. I was just falling in love with the technique and it was happening as a result of that. So I left to go home for the summer at the end of my freshman year. And I told my mom, I'm like, you know, there isn't a pair bar close by. So I'm going to try to, I've never been a workout from home person. And I'm like, I'm going to just do this every day that I'm home for the summer. And if I still love it that much at the end of the summer, by like having to be my own motivation, I'm going to look into it possibly being um, an avenue for a career. And I stuck with it. And then going back to school, my dad was like, you know, you need to talk to as many owners as possible, understand the brand, understand the mission statement, understand what opening it looks like. So I traveled to 50 different pair bar studios in the first semester of my senior year of college. So that was like a year later. I did college in three years um, and just asked all the questions that I had. I put together a PowerPoint of what it would look like for me doing it post-college And, you know, I often get asked, like, what made you decide? Nothing really made me decide. It was a heart decision. Um, It was just a heart cue that this was the right path. And there was a lot of fear, a lot of insecurity that came with that. But the decision in and of itself was actually an easy one for me. Um, It was more the doubt that came after that I had to battle a little bit harder. And so I applied to be an owner towards the end of that first semester. I got approved right before Thanksgiving and began looking for real estate um, and just kind of dove head first. I think that, you know, there's a lot of people that'll tell you you're too young for something or you're too old or you're too this and too that. And it's really easy to get lost in the voices of the world. And I think that that happens when we're out of touch with our own heart, we begin to hear the world louder. And then we begin to make decisions for people that aren't us. And as young as I was in my heart, it felt like the right time because I didn't have a family. I didn't have anyone else depending on me. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to leap. And if I fall, I fall. But, um, you know, it felt less risky to do that than to look back. My dad always says, don't ever look back and say, you wish you would have. And it was something that I definitely knew I would have that reaction about if I didn't go head first into it. Well, you know, the theme of this show is, is imperfect action. So I love the idea of jumping in and because imperfect action doesn't mean just, you know, going out there without doing any back work, just, you know, (laughs) running ahead. I mean, you looked into it, you investigated, I mean, traveled to visit 50 studios. That's incredible. And then made the leap. And so what were some of the early lessons for you in, in like that first, you know, three to six months of ownership? Oh, there were a ton. Um, if you're a business owner, you know that everything you've ever struggled with in yourself shows up for you the minute you decide to become a business owner, because I believe that our wellness is our business. Um, and so you have to work through all of the blocks that you deal with from a mindset perspective and a growth perspective. But I think the biggest things that show that shine through for me was I needed to trust myself more than I thought that I could an owner gave me advice on the very first day my studio opened. And she's like, you're going to have to act like an expert 
in topics that you are merely a beginner. And it was the best advice I ever got because it, it didn't mean that my ego needed to be turned all the way up, but it meant that if I went in insecure, if I went in without confidence in myself, people can only meet you as deeply as you've met yourself. So if you're standing there insecure and not sure how to sell authentically and market honestly, if, you know, if those parts of you are doubting yourself every step of the way, people are going to meet you in that doubt. And I was, I opened my business in a town that I had never been to before. And so I had to just open my heart and allow people to get to know me and market from that place of why I was doing this, why I was working to create this so that they would understand my story and then choose to, you know, come into my studio and then the experience sells itself. But I, I believe that business is connection. And I think the hardest part for me was overcoming uh, just the insecurity that I felt in my ability to do it. So you set up in a, in a town that you weren't familiar with, didn't live in. What, what made you choose that location? It was more a franchise. I care about a franchise. And so um, it was more a decision that I made with the franchise as a whole. It was a market that was available. My parents had lived there in their early years of being married. And it was a great market for a studio. And that was another huge challenge that I faced in the very beginning because I was only thinking about myself from the professional standpoint. I never once asked, am I going to be happy here? Like, is this the right location for Jenna as a person, not just Jenna as a business owner? And the answer to that was no. Um, I was deeply unhappy and I struggled a lot with the fact that I was 21 had just turned 22 and I was doing what I loved, which I know some people never have the opportunity to say that they do something that lights their soul on fire, but to go home and feel deeply alone and not okay from a personal front was really hard. And my business was requiring a lot of me. I was there from way before the sun came up until way after it went down. And so the ability to cultivate a social life didn't come naturally. I went through um, a pretty serious breakup week two of owning the studio And it was weird because I knew deeply in my heart that I was doing what I was supposed to be doing, but the location was not where I was supposed to be. And that didn't make sense to me. I didn't understand, um, you know, why I would have gotten to that place to have it not be what I thought it was going to be, which I think, you know, that shows up for all of us at some point in our life. And um, I had spent some time in Hilton Head Island, which is where I currently live and own a studio in now. My first location was in Frederick, Maryland. I had spent some time here while my Maryland studio was under construction and it was the happiest I had ever been in my life. And so when I moved, I was leaving the best personal situation I had ever been in to chase my dream. And there was already a pure bar studio on the island and the owner had said she would never sell. So I was about six months into ownership of my Maryland location when I got the phone call that she was going to sell the island location. And it felt completely unfeasible. I mean, I didn't even have a year of tax returns. And to be completely honest with you, Brock, I didn't even know what my business was making. I, I had an account that handled my books. Like I had to be within the four walls of my space every minute of every day. And so I called my accountant and I was like, you know, I, I feel like a pull to make this happen somehow, but I would only be able to do it if my Maryland studio was at a place that I could sell it. And it was an odd space of feeling so connected to my clients in Maryland and so sure that I was supposed to also be in Hilton Head Island somehow. Um, and knowing that I couldn't do both, which was a tug of war that my heart played with for a long time. But needless to say, my accountant was like, you can sell your business probably for double what you invested. Um, and I just cried. I fell to the floor. I can still remember where I was when that happened. Um, 
and the sale process was extremely long um, and grueling. And I learned a lot in that as well, but it ultimately brought me here. So there's been, it's been a whirlwind of a, of a two years. I feel like every time I tell this story, I sound like a broken record because it's like a very long, um, long arrival, but um, I now live in Hilton Head and own a pure bar studio and I'm fulfilled both professionally and personally. Um, but it was not an easy fight. Well, that's fantastic. Uh, so, you know, when you talk about owning a business, so I think one of the places where uh, people sometimes get surprised is that, you know, they, they go after, uh, you know, kind of a, a topic or an industry that they love, but without being aware of the whole business side of it, mm-hmm. you know, so yeah. I, I love, I love mountain biking, but I also, I have friends who are shop owners and, you know, most of what they do actually doesn't involve mountain biking. And, you know, there's just the the business behind the business. So did you find that challenging? Did you love the business part of it right away? What what did you discover? No, I I definitely did not love the business part of it right away. Um, I can't even tell you that I, I, I do today. I think that the biggest thing was at first I felt like I needed to be the one that did everything. So I, wanted to ring up, we, we double as a high-end retail boutique. So I wanted to handle every transaction. I wanted to sell memberships. I wanted to teach all the classes. Like I was trying to do it all because I think that, it, and especially in the Instagram world, we're taught that being a, moder- a martyr is the best thing that we can be. You know, it's like, do it all, be it all. It's all about the hustle. And that was the approach I took in the beginning. And I, so I think I counteract that mindset now with recognizing that I can delegate the parts of my business that I don't feel like are within my wheelhouse of strength to team members that meet my weaknesses with that strength, because, you know, there's always going to be parts of what you do that you don't love. And there are definitely things I do on a daily basis that I don't enjoy, but finding joy and releasing the things that didn't necessarily have to be done by me was a place of freedom that didn't feel attainable in the beginning. Um, but that I'm at now. And I, I think as an entrepreneur, that's the hardest place to get to is the knowing that delegation doesn't mean that you're not good at your job, but it's, it's opening the space for you to stand in your light and actually be the part of your business that um, your business is going to benefit the most from. So which part of the business do you do best? Teaching and the connection. And does that coincide with the part of business that you love the most? It does. Yes. So when, when you're at that moment of there, there's this whole business side of the business that like you just kind of enthusiastically jumped into and you'd done your research and all that, but how did you decide what to let go of like that delegation piece? I hit a really bad burnout period in month five of owning my Maryland studio. I had a really rough first round of hiring. Pure Bar is a very tough technique to become certified in. And I hired seven girls, only one of them passed their certification. So when we opened the doors to my Maryland studio, I was teaching 35 out of the 42 classes that we had on the schedule every single week. And in those early stages, you're so high on adrenaline that you just put your head down and go to work, which is what I did. But I didn't, I didn't even realize how much I was working or how much of myself I was giving. And I I shut down because I felt like that first round of hiring was a failure. So I didn't want to open back up to asking for help because I'm like, well, I'm not good at that. So I better just do it all myself because, you know, I don't know how to hire. I just started to tell myself that story. And month five, I took a weekend off. I had worked 88 days in a row 
Um, and I decided to come to Hilton Head for Memorial Day. And I crossed the bridge onto the island and I pulled over and I just started to cry. And it was like the deepest place of burnout that I've ever been in emotionally or physically. And it was a moment of recognizing that I had done it to myself, which is a really hard reflection point to be at. Um, And so from that point forward, I didn't have a choice. Like my body was like, you physically can't do this anymore. Um, and I had to realize, you know, cause even though teaching is my favorite part, um, you know, there's a limit to that too. And I think sometimes we hide in the good parts because we don't really want to handle the stuff that we don't like, you know? Um, but there, you know, there has to be a balance between the two. And I would tell you, honestly, I'm still finding that, but that I wouldn't have gotten there without reaching that place of burnout. It was just a level of honesty with myself that I've never had prior to that point. Well, part of delegation is, of course, you know, hiring the right people. And so over the whole time you've been an entrepreneur, I mean, you mentioned kind of the first round didn't go so well, but what, what have you learned about hiring or what do you do differently now that helps you be more successful in hiring? Well, the first time I hired, I Googled how to hire and that was what I did. Um, and that didn't go very well because I think intuitively we always know what we need. And when we fail to honor our our gut, that's when things kind of blow up in our face. And I had deep gut feelings about the people that I hired, not not necessarily about their characters, but I just got this like weird, you know, maybe this isn't right, but they're good at this part and, you know, whatever. I kind of like justified it. And I was also in a little bit of a rush. Um, So if if I could do that first round over again, I would take my time and maybe start with a smaller team instead of pressuring myself to have seven girls because three would have been better than one. Um, But the biggest thing that I have learned is that it's not as much about the resume as it is about the person. You can teach somebody everything, but you cannot teach their moral compass to be in alignment with yours. And you can't teach them to show up and, you know, um, mesh with the personalities, like have that alignment with your business as well. And the second round of hiring that I did was actually kickstarted by something that I didn't even ignite. Um, had a girl approach me at the end of class one evening and she had been coming since the day we opened sometimes twice a day if her schedule allowed. And Pure Bar is kind of known for their outfits. You know, people like, like to wear fancy leggings and tops. And this girl just totally rocked her sweatpants and orange t-shirt. And I just like had mad respect for it. Um, and she was just so confident in who she was. And it took her a really long time to even get good at class, but she just never gave up. And she was a hairstylist in town, had no experience. And she just approached me and she's like, I want, I want to be a teacher. And I know that I don't have any of the experience, but I want to show my girls that when you put your mind to something, you can do anything that you want to do. She was a single mom of two. And I literally, I just started to cry. It was on a Wednesday and on Wednesdays I taught eight classes in a row. And so I was like, I try not to cry at work, but sometimes it happens. And, um, I was, I hired her on the spot. I didn't even look at her resume and sent her to training. She came back and she was the furthest thing from a natural Brock. I don't think I've actually ever worked with a teacher as long as she and I worked together, but every hour that the studio was open, she was in there practicing And I took a complete chance on her, but like she felt that trust, that belief, um, that like gut connection of, I believe in you too. Um, And she, right before I left to move to Hill and Head Island, she got promoted to manager and she is a phenomenal teacher now. And it was a very extreme scenario. I can't say I've ever hired somebody else without looking at their resume, but I, I think my heart needed something that extreme to recognize that like I knew how to hire a team. I just wasn't trusting myself to make those decisions. And so she has completely 
180 the way that I hire. And now I have a conversation first, look at the resume second. And then I sit with the question of whether or not I feel like that person is a fit. And oftentimes the answer that comes to mind first is the one that needs to be honored. You know, you had mentioned the idea of, you know, Instagram world and, you know, yeah. things, things are Instagram fabulous, definitely. And there's yeah. a lot on there about entrepreneurs and, you know, kind of a, a common theme of questions that I ask is kind of around what people don't see on Instagram. And you're kind of doubly so because not only are you an entrepreneur, but you're an entrepreneur in the fitness industry, which I yeah. think I suspect suffers heavily from image over what's actually going on behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, so what is it behind the scenes that people don't see that you wish they knew about? Yeah, I'm pretty sure people think I just wear Lululemon leggings and drink Starbucks <laughs> for a living. <laughs> um, but I, I think 95% of your job as an entrepreneur is behind the scenes. I really genuinely believe that. Um, and, you know, I, I'm a writer as well, and I coach women um, too. And so I share from a very, very vulnerable place in my heart. I, I would say the pictures I share on Instagram, I think, you know, we all kind of want that certain image. And I think I fully am, fall victim to that. But I try with my writing to open that space to actually let people into what it's actually like, um, both with like the body image issues that you deal with owning a fitness studio. Um, you know, for a long time, I felt like how I looked was what people were going to think of my business. And, um, you know, a lot of the job that I do, even my team doesn't know that I do. Um, and so I, I think sometimes it's, it's easy to get to a place where you want to shout from the rooftops, like, you don't know how much I have on my plate, you know, because you almost get to that point of like people thinking you're just like gallivanting around and having a great time in the world. Um, and so I try to avoid that place through my writing by sharing vulnerably um, but I think what most people don't realize is it's a mind that never turns off really and truly. Like my mind is on 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, and I own a business that is open seven days a week. And so even if I'm not actively choosing to be answering an email or working, my mind is thinking about it. And, you know, I still Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we have a 6am class. I trust my team more than I trust myself, yet my body still wakes me up at 5.50 to make sure that like people are signing in for class and the teacher showed up, um, you know? And so it's just like, it's, it's a level of thinking, like there's just, there's just no going home and being like, it's turned off now. And I think that unless you're in it, that's a really hard thing to articulate. Hmm. Well, when you think about finding security in, in your, your age. And I, I love that topic because, you know, there's things about us, I mean, we all have insecurities and there's things about us we can fix and there's things about us that we can't change at all. And, yeah. you know, age is something you can't change. I mean, you're the age you are. There are many things that we could be insecure about that really it's just, it's who we are. It's where we are. That's not going to change anytime soon. So what advice do you have for people um, to get comfortable with their spot in the world? I, I think acknowledging that the only person that can give you the validation, the reassurance, the confidence is you. I spend a lot of time looking for those things in the outside world and not feeling like I could ever find contentment in where I was sitting because I wanted to be more or adapt better or do this and coming home to the fact that the only person that even deserves the space to have an opinion about you is you. And I, 
I think when we're at home in that, we don't hear the voices as loudly as we did before. You know, I still have moments, um, you know, I have a, I just recently, last week, I was having a conversation with a client and um, I have, I very rarely have, you know, uncomfortable, I guess, conversations with clients, but this was one of them. And, you know, I, I still feel as though people can be degrading in the way they speak to me when they're not happy with something or if something goes wrong, um, that then my age comes up as almost like an excuse for them to think that I didn't do something perfectly or well and relate it to that. And, you know, you're just human to sit in that for a minute, but I think it's the ability to talk yourself out of that and knowing that, you know, you deserve space wherever it is, wherever you are, whatever you want to reach for. The only person that can grant you that space though is you. And I think we often wait for somebody else to give us permission or for somebody else to say, you belong here. And those words are never going to come because we actually can't even accept them or hear them if we're not at home with them in ourselves. Um, And so I think it's a lot of personal development work and a lot of mindset shifting. Um, And I also think it's a forever process, really and truly. Well, when you talk about personal development, you know, what are the things that you are, are most excited about working on just, you know, on yourself over the next six months, next year, next two years? Yeah, I just completed a women's group. Um, I'm a, I'm a strong believer that you have to surround yourself with people that challenge you to be more. Part of the heart, one of the hardest parts about my age coming into this space is I graduated a year before all of my friends, and so I was opening a business, and you know they were loving me through it, which is great. But I also needed someone that like understood it and got it, and that also were ahead of me and knew more and had done more. Um, and so that was when I began to reach for the personal development space because I was craving to be the most unsuccessful person in the group. Like I was craving to be inspired to continue growing. Um, and the women's group was 10 women from all over the world that were business owners. And it was led by, uh, my coach, Gianna Robinson. And it was six months long. We met twice a month on zoom and we talked about our business and understanding that your wellness is your business and following that work. The biggest thing that I'm moving forward with is finding some separation between personal and professional. The two are very linked for me because I love what I do. A lot of the people that I spend time with are within my work. So I don't get a lot of that mental separation. And I think it's necessary. You know, when I take a few days away, I'm like a better business owner when I come back. And so my personal development work right now is detaching my worth from my business success because it probably only takes me five minutes after meeting you to tell you that I opened a studio and I've done this and I've done that. And so I'm working on just being like, I'm Jenna and I'm worthy of being here for just that. Like there doesn't, that could be a hard stop. It doesn't have to be anything beyond that. Um, because I think sometimes we get so caught up in what we've done or what we haven't done that we forget just showing up's enough. Um, and sometimes I, I, I have a lot of anxiety around that. So that's what I'm currently working through. Well, beyond the coaching group, um, what what resources, books, authors, websites, programs, anything uh, did you find particularly helpful? Yeah, I'm a big podcast girl, um, obviously. Uh, so I listen to quite a few of those, and it really those really depend on my mood. I find um, even relationship ones can be super beneficial. Sometimes taking yourself out of what you hear on a day-to-day or out of the business altogether can be really good. So Mark Groves is my favorite relationship podcaster. Um, And then I read a ton. I'm constantly um, educating myself on that front. I tend to read more 
books that are based upon mindset and understanding that um, and the personal development piece and less about actual analytical business advice, because I think the two go hand in hand. Um, and yeah. Any, any favorite authors? Um, currently I'm reading Rachel Hollis's latest book. Um, but I, I'd say overall, my favorite author is probably my coach, Yana Robinson. Um, a lot of her work is like, uh, essays and poems and things like that, but they make you think about things in a different way. And I can be a one train thought kind of person. So something that takes me out of my normal way of thinking challenges me to grow. Well, when you think about, so working with, with a coach, so you do coaching, but you, you also have a coach. How, how do you recommend people find and select a coach? I think it's a heart cue, whether or not it's the right person for you. I worked with one other one before I found the one that I work with now. Um, and it never really felt right with the other one, not that the advice wasn't good, but I think your energy bounces off of other people in different ways. Same way when you meet a new person that you're thinking about being in a relationship with, or you find someone that you're interested in a friendship with. It's like, you both kind of get this heart cue, like, oh, I like you and this is good. Um, and I think a coach is very similar. Um, you know, Yana Robinson does something totally different in her world than I do in my business. I mean, she's a writer, she's a poet, um, you know, she owned a clothing company. So it, it doesn't necessarily have to be someone that's within, in fact, I actually recommend that it's not somebody that's within your field. I think having somebody that is challenging you to think outside the box so that then you can apply it to your profession is huge. But I think overall, it's just a gut feeling, um, and, you know, it's how you feel after the call is over, too. Like, I always offer a 30-minute consultation um, that's complimentary, and it's really just to see how the energy vibes for both me and for that person, because that's important in that work. Well, switching gears a, a little bit. So we're, we're covering a, a lot of ground here, and I, and I love it. Um, you know, so you are in the fitness and wellness industry, and you see a lot of people, and this might be a little skewed just by the type of person who, who's attracted to your studio, but... Where do you find most people get the most bang for their buck when it comes to wellness? Like where should they start their focus? Gosh, there's so much in this space because there's and such I know a, everyone's different. So yeah, well, and there's such a difference in like whether you're actually working to achieve wellness or if you're looking to change your body because you hate it or because you don't like something about it or because somebody told you you need to lose five pounds. Like I think the it's less about what you're actually doing and what the intention is behind what you're doing. Coming from someone who had an eating disorder for three years, I know what it's like to go to the gym and get on the elliptical for the sole purpose of knowing that I ate 700 calories of popcorn and wanting to burn that off or whatever it is. It's like, I, I know what it's like to go into that space with the wrong intention. And so no matter what I was doing, whether I was on the elliptical or I was weightlifting or I was making a green smoothie um, if the intention behind that was hate or wishful thinking of wanting to be something else, you never actually achieve peace within yourself. So my very first piece of advice when you're beginning to choose a healthier life for yourself is to get really honest about your intention and spend some time understanding your body and knowing that like it should never be from a place of hate. You can want to be better. You can want to improve, but you have to believe that you're enough as you are right now to then accept those new versions, to accept the growth that will come from jumping into the wellness world. Um, so that's probably not your typical answer to that question, but I really truly believe the intention is the most important part and it's going to yield the best results as well 
as not how do you hit that point of like, you know, I go to the gym every day for 10 days and then I quit because, you know, I ate things all week. It's like, it, it becomes a lifestyle instead of a fad. And that, that is what the world bounces back and forth between right, right. now is like these fad diets and choosing it as a lifestyle. But I think that we fail to recognize that the difference between the two is just the intention we set before it. Well, you made it through college pretty quick and you said three years. And, um, so again, I'm shifting gears a little bit here. Um, and then immediately, you know, kind of in the process found that this calling or this outlet for, for yourself that you're, you're deep into right now, what advice would you have for, for someone going into college on choosing a career or finding their direction? I like that question a lot. I, I think the biggest piece, I went into college thinking I was going to be a pediatrician. Um, I, that's what I thought I wanted to be from the time I was three years old. I was like, that was dead set. And I took freshman year anatomy and I was like, I don't think this is my thing. Um, so I think my biggest piece of advice going into college is grace to give yourself grace. Um, and to know that like you become a new person in that period of your life. It's such a formative time period. And I have a lot of friends that graduated and went into the job that they thought they should have and they're so unhappy and it's because they didn't honor in college the fact that it probably wasn't what was best for them and that they weren't doing it for themselves and um so I think just the freedom to express yourself in whatever way you actually want to and to know that that might change while you're in college and that might cause you to shift roots and that that's okay that doesn't mean you're indecisive it doesn't mean you're failing it just means that you're learning yourself. And when we, when we meet new parts of ourselves, we have to honor those parts in new ways. So we, we, um, and I think that that's great advice, uh, especially since I went through three majors. So, um, I, I would echo <laughs> many of those <laughs> thoughts, um, and then ended up doing something totally different anyway. Um, <laughs> you, you know, it, it, it is hard. It's not, I have yet to find anyone who's had just a straight line. Here's what they knew what they want to do. And well, the straight line is straight line's boring too. You know, I mean, I think people felt it. It's like you know, it'd be like watching a movie and somebody telling you how it was going to end before it even ended. I mean, it like it takes. So I think like you know, we're told like, oh, it's supposed to be this like perfect, and it's like really in reality that isn't living. Um, and so eventually, it's going to be your story. You're going to be able to help other people based upon what you went through. Um, you know, and it isn't supposed to all be good or supposed to all be things that you're sure about, which is, I think, the biggest myth when you go into college is you're just supposed to already know and nobody knows. So if you think everybody knows, I promise you that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Well, all right. So looking ahead, um, what what do you suspect the next, you know, five, 10 years holds for you? That has shifted a lot. I think it's similar to, to college in that respect. I have always wanted a family um, since I was very young. I, I also have always had a very strong urge on my heart to adopt a baby girl um, from Uganda. So that is something that I will more than likely dive into within the next five to 10 years is family and that, that side of life. Um, but I would like to write a book. I would like to speak. Um, my My why, I believe that my mission in this world is to give women and people the space to feel safe to step into their power. Um, and I think that I do that by living that out. And so that's my why, my what's changed right now. It's a pure bar owner and 
writing for Elephant Journal and someday that might be writing a book and speaking on stages um, or it might just mean being a mom and giving my daughters that space. Um, I don't necessarily know if I know how it's going to play out, but I think that that will be the centerpiece is finding new ways to support that mission. Excellent. Do you now do you see yourself owning more studios or just really focusing on this one? I don't see myself owning any more fitness studios. I can see myself possibly um, my major was in like health and nutrition as well. And I have a lot of passion behind that piece because I know how hard it can be to find balance in your eating. Um, and so I've, if anything, I can see myself expanding into the nutrition space as far as business goes, but fitness studio wise, I give my entire heart to this one. So I'm not sure I could, not sure I could handle too. <laughs> well, well, that makes sense. Um, well, as we start wrapping up here, uh, just a, a couple of questions and, and this has been great. I, I really appreciate your, your perspective, your point of view, just, um, how much you've thought about this and, and how much um, passion and inspiration, you know, you find in your own life that, that I can hear come through and in your answers to my questions. But so where can people find you? I'm the most active on my Instagram. My um, website is linked there. And I, like I mentioned, I write for Elephant Journal as well. So a lot of my writing is directly on their website and I link that all in my bio. Um, so I'm just at Jenna Irvin, J-E-N-N-A-I-R-V-I-N. Um, and yeah, pretty much everything I do can be found there. My studio is linked there as well. Great. Well, a question I have for all of my guests is how can the listeners help you? What, what would your ask be of them? You spend a lot of your time and effort helping others. How, what help could you receive? Um, I think we help others by helping ourselves. Um, and so I, if my voice encourages you to maybe dive a little deeper and be a little bit more honest with yourself about what your heart actually wants. Um, to me, that is doing something for me. So. All right. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. Really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Brock. I really appreciate it.